Heavenly Father, we indeed give thee all the thanks, the praise, and the glory for thy goodness to us, which we are undeserving. Lord, as thou hast in the past given us rain and snow and sleet and hail, thou hast given us also thy sunshine this day and this past weekend. We indeed feel the warmth as described by thy word, that the sun as it traverses the heavens and, and um, uncovers all of creation and warms all of creation, thou hast been good to us. Father, we pray now as we look into thy word, we pray that thou would bless it, that thy Holy Spirit will be our teacher and that our hearts would be opened for the furtherance of thy kingdom and for the salvation of men. We pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, for this morning's meditation, I'd like to, with the Lord's help, read from the book of uh, John. 1 John chapter 3, the letter. First letter of John chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth had not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil... Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and he, and, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother, have need, <clears throat> and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, 
but in deed and in truth. And hereby ye know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemneth, condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This is such a powerful passage that we have read this morning. And spoken, <coughs> or written, should I say, by the disciple that was known as the one that Jesus loved. And we have heard, as we have read and read together, that in the beginning he gave us this commandment. And you can go to chapter 1, and he says, That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard. That which was from the beginning, it had two or three times in, in verse uh, uh, 7 of chapter 2, that which was from the beginning. And <clears throat> the beginning that the, the Apostle John is speaking about was their initial encounter with Jesus. That was the, his beginning. In, <clears throat> in his Gospel, he talks about another beginning in the very first chapter, where he talks about in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's another beginning. But that beginning was from eternity past. And he was speaking about Jesus Christ being the same nature as God, the part of the Godhead, which is very hard for us to understand. But he was with God in the beginning. The beginning that we have read about here in John is when they first came to know Christ. And what was the teaching that they heard from Christ, we heard, was to love one another. To love one another. Uh, John the Apostle, I believe, is known to be the Apostle of love and truth. Of love and truth. He speaks so much about the truth. He speaks so much in love. And they've got to be together. Sometimes people don't like to hear the truth. When it's spoken in love. Because the truth hurts. They don't want to know things about themselves. They don't want to know what's wrong with them. Or at least in front of people. They don't want to be put down. They don't want to feel inferior. Or that they're lower. Or something's wrong with them. But if we truly love someone, we will tell them. We will tell them there's a serious problem that needs to be fixed for their good, for their own good. And we need to receive the same from others for our own good. And that's what the Apostle John is speaking about here. This chapter talks about in great depth, or, or, or over and over again, maybe not so much in great depth, but over and over again, it speaks about the love of God, the love for your brother, and it talks about sin. 
and how they are related. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we humans, frail, fickle, sinful, hateful, that God would name us as his children, that God would adopt us as his sons and daughters. Many perhaps envy royalty in this world and they see how they live in luxury and in preeminence and, and that is nothing compared to be a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is the love that God has bestowed upon us. As unworthy as we were, we have become those that have believed in the name of the Son of God and have accepted His forgiveness through repentance and faith. God has bestowed this this high, as Ephesians 4 says, this high vocation, this vocation, this calling that we are called with. And then he says, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And on the next page, it says, Marvel not, brethren, that the world hate you. So the world doesn't know us, because he didn't know Christ. And then he says, don't be, a, don't be surprised that the world hates you. Jesus said that himself to his disciples. He said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And, and why did they hate Christ? No reason. They hated me without a cause. It was prophesied. They hated Jesus without a just cause. And so, are we to be surprised if the world hates us? And it may not come out as, you know... Uh, violence attacks as it was in the old early times in the early church but it could be in terms of um, ostracizing you mocking you making fun of you putting pressure on you to change because they think you're wrong there's all kinds of ways that we can be hated by the world prejudice when it comes to jobs they won't hire you if they know you're a Christian you can't sing anymore in School, Jesus loves me. All these different things, the world has manifested itself. You can't even pray. They, they've cut it out now. You can't have public prayers in, in, in schools. That We, who were once a Christian nation, and the, the Americans in whom God trusts, and they trust in God, they cannot do that anymore. It's a very subtle way of showing how the world hates Christians. <coughs> the... <coughs> I, I, I looked up the word love here to see what word is used here because we often read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 we say it's the love chapter it's the agape chapter the word agape is, is, was termed by some theologians as the, the love of God the, the godly love different than others <clears throat> but I looked up that word today and um, it occurs about 109 times in the, Greek test, in the New Testament in the Greek and I, I notice that that word is used for all kinds of things. It's used for the love of the, the love of the praise of men. It's used for in in the Gospel of Matthew. I think it was used for uh, loving the uppermost seats at feasts by the Jews. Um, it's used in the in the context of saying they love darkness rather than light. And then they use other words like phileo, which is brotherly love which you use for, towards your brother. In this chapter, I believe it's solely used in, with the, 
the agape word which means a social or a moral type of love. Now, I'm not disputing that the love of God in 1 Corinthians 13 is not just is not that. And I believe what sets it is context. The word the meaning of the word is context. In this meaning, and in 1 Corinthians 13, it means the love of God. And that love of God, in, as, as defined in 1 Corinthians 13, with about 15 different examples, is something that humans cannot produce. Love that, <coughs> love that doesn't envy, love that, that is, is, uh, is not selfish, Love that uh, rejoices in another's good and, and success. Love that doesn't rejoice in somebody's uh, downfall or, 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 or bad circumstances. Love that believes all things. Love that hopes all things. Love that endures all things. Love that doesn't fail. Only God can produce that love. The first fruit of the Spirit as written in Galatians 5. That love is only what God can produce. And Romans 5 says that that love is shed abroad in our hearts when we become born again. When we are justified by faith in His blood. That love is shed abroad in our hearts. And that is the love that First <coughs> uh, John chapter 3 is speaking about. <coughs> and I'm, I'm guessing... I didn't look at this one up, but verse 2, beloved, is, is, this, is of the same root. Because many times, as I went through that word in the Greek, beloved came up. It comes from the same word. Beloved. And, and Paul says it such endearingly, in, I believe in Ephesians, says that we are a, a part of his beloved. We are part of his beloved. It's like his first love, like um, someone that when, when they're getting married, that's their beloved. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, and every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. <clears throat> that is a, 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 two verses that contain so much. talks about the second coming of Christ, <clears throat> It talks about the nature of our being when He comes. It talks about that this, this whole eschatological, this last day looking forward to of events, um, has a way of purifying us. Every man that had this hope in him of the coming of the Lord Jesus, of the revelation, as, Paul, as Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, uh, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, that every man had this hope in him purifieth himself, even as Christ is pure. You say, well, we, how can we do that? How can we, with our human nature, purify ourselves? We can't purify ourselves. But I believe he's saying here that we allow us to pure, be purified. Yes, there is. Man does have a will. Man does have the choice of being purified or not. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 says, for verse 10, for they bear, um, let me back up to give some more context. 
Let's go to verse 6 in Hebrews chapter 12. For whom the Lord loveth, here we go, whom the Lord loveth, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Yes, the one that we read about in, in 1 John 3. We are the sons of God. What manner of love this is. The same Lord that loves us says, If ye endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chastens not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, all Christians, then ye are bastards and not sons. A bastard doesn't have a father. A legitimate, a legitimate father. You don't, you, you don't belong to God if he doesn't chasten you. He says here, but if you endure chastening, God deals with you with sons for as what son is he whom the father chasteneth? Not, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which correcteth us and we give them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Imperfect fathers, imperfect humans still chastened us even after their own pleasure. May we right or wrong. Sometimes we, we may be uh, chasing or, or, or discipline our children out of frustration and anger. And he satisfies us because we've done what we thought. That teach him a lesson. But has it taught them a lesson? Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto, get this, unto them which are exercised thereby. So we have a choice to be willing to accept the chastisement or the chastening of our Father and to believe that He's doing this because He truly loves us. Or we can reject it. We can reject His chastisement. What we're really doing is rejecting His love. And that leads us to another point. We talked about love, we talked about sin. This chapter talks so much about sin. And we had a Bible discussion here a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the sin of David. And David, who was a man after God's own heart, yet he sinned. And he, when it, it, it came to the point where Nathan uh, uh, interrogated him, and finally David um, acknowledged his sin, he couldn't run anymore. It, it, it led to his repentance. And you can read all about that in Psalm 51. But David was a broken man because he realized that he had sinned against the Lord that he really loved. And that loved him. That could have put him to death. That could have had him stoned. But he says, but thou shalt not die. Mind you, he suffered all the consequences that followed with his family. But God spared him. And God gave him a chance. You know, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Remember that? And God grants us repentance, but it's, it's conditioned. It's conditioned on one thing, on our humility, on our willing to admit. You know, there are many, many out there that say, you know, you have no choice in the matter. God makes you repent, or He doesn't make you repent. It's not your choice, it's God's choice. And they, they say that the fact that you can repent, and, and you can humble yourself before God, gives you the power. The power is in your hands whether you're going to receive forgiveness or not because you have that in your hands to do. No, it can't be that. Therefore, God makes you repent. Well, that's 
That's a fallacy. Because the grounds of your repentance is not faith. The grounds, the basis on which you receive forgiveness of sins is not your faith. That's not the basis on which we receive forgiveness of sins. The basis on which we receive forgiveness of sins, or the grounds on which we receive the forgiveness of sins, is the blood and the sacrifice of Christ. The condition that we are forgiven is our faith. It's a condition that needs to be fulfilled. There's a big difference there. We don't create our own forgiveness. We don't create our own righteousness. We receive it through Christ, but the condition of being forgiven is our faith in what He says. And, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the King David, at the end of Psalm 51, and it's repeated again in Isaiah, by Prophet Isaiah, he says that, This man will I receive, the one that is of a contrite spirit, and a contrite and a broken heart. He will not reject. He will approve. He will accept. So the, the condition of receiving forgiveness for sin is faith in His blood. And what it ultimately ends up in is obedience. Is obedience. Obedience is a demonstration of the faith that we have. Faith is not just a mental assent. Yeah, I can go along with that. Faith involves trust. Faith says, I can believe that God can do that. Trust is, I believe that God can do that for me. And my proof of my, my faith in what God can do for me is my obedience to His Word. And you know what? God is not going to... God will not judge us just by our words. God will not judge us because I say on the day of judgment, God, I believed you. I did all these things. There is a scripture that says, for by thy uh, words you'll be judged as well. But that's not the only thing. That's a work. When you speak something, it manifests a work that's in your heart. What's really in your heart, whether it's speaking, doing, it's still a work, but your words alone will not justify you. The word has always come back to every man, Second Corinthians 5, every man shall be, shall be judged by their works, shall receive according to their works. Why? Because it's an objective uh, a, a judgment. This is what I have done. This is what is really in my heart. That's why James says in chapter 2, he says, you know, you show me your faith by your works, and I'll show you my faith without my works. Who are you going to believe? What's going to be credible? God sees our heart, but He's going to make it known for all that your faith will be, will be tested by your works. That's the whole reason works are included in the judgment of God. Because our faith is going to be tested and tried by our works. 1 Corinthians 3 says the same thing. So, we have the love of God, we have the sin of man, and how the sin of man is dealt with by the love of God. With David, and I believe with all of us, when we sin, we say, what is sin? I think we even read it here, that, that sin is the transgression of the law. Verse 4, Whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. But it's not just a cold, you know, you just disobeyed the law, and therefore, because you disobeyed this rule, this is what you're going to get. It's far more than that. The law was God's decree to mankind, God's covenant with mankind, that regulated love. It regulates love be between God and man, and between man and man. The fourth 
the first four commandments, if you read them, let's just go through them briefly in Exodus chapter 20. This is what he, he talks about the, the commandments of God, the law. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In some sense it's like saying, um, I am your husband to the woman, you will have no other husband. Your love belongs to me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or on earth beneath. I am your husband, you will have no other pictures of some other men in your room. So you can dote over, or adore Thou shalt not bow to the, thyself to them, nor, nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God. I am a jealous God. And it's good to be jealous. Not envious. Jealous. Because jealousy has a protective ingredient. You want to protect what you have. You want to protect so you don't lose it. It's precious to you. Envy, on the other hand, says, I want what the other person has. And you have ill will toward that person because you don't have it and he does. And you go to any extent to get it. And that's exactly what David did. He took Uriah's wife, the little ewe lamb, when Uriah, when David had so many other sheep of his own. So many wives of his own. Whoever he had, he had five or six wives. I forget how many. But, but he says here, Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, nor serve them. I am the Lord thy God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and so forth. Showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And then he says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Show respect unto the one you love. Don't use it as a household term. You know, many times you hear, even from believers, something happens and it's, they use the name of the Lord. Well, are you invoking him in prayer or are you just using it as a frustration? As, a, as a, an, an out expression of your frustration or are you really revering the name of the Lord? And we see how the world has done that uncontrollably. And then he says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Set aside time with me. Spend time with me, your, your first love. You say you love me but you're never home. And then we can see for the rest... Um, Honour your father and mother, now honouring your parents, man to man. Thou shalt not kill. And we, we see that in 1 John 3. If you don't love your brother, you're a murderer. What Jesus, what the, the Lord is saying in Exodus 20, don't murder because that's not showing the love of God. He's saying, thou shalt not commit adultery. You don't love your wife if you're going with somebody else. Thou shalt not steal. If you have any feelings... Or love for your neighbour, you won't take what belongs to him. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbour. You will not spite your neighbour by lying to him, lying about him. You'll not covet your neighbour's house. This is where envy comes in. Your neighbour's wife, your neighbour's ass, your neighbour's ox, and so forth. It's all about love. The law was given to, to somehow instruct and regulate love in our lives until we come to the fullness of, of, of that knowledge of how important that love is. And when we when we reject the love of God, when we reject the love of God, we sin. And I believe that is what sin is. The rejection of God's love. Whether you are aware of it or not, we reject God's love. God says, I'm doing this all for you. I prepared this path for you. I've given you this 
to protect you, to keep you, to, to, to um, guide you, and you have rejected the perfect counsel. You, you know, was it Samuel? When God told, 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 when they wanted a king in Israel? And God says to Samuel, they've not rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me. The word came from Samuel, they rejected the, the word of, the, of, of Samuel, and God says, Samuel, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. When the children of Israel were sinning, and Moses approaches the children of Israel, and he says to them, why do you tempt, why do you, why do you, you, you argue with me? Why do you strive with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? He said, this is not my words, this is God's words. You're not rejecting me, you're rejecting God. And so they reject the love of God. And does God hurt? Oh yes, God hurts. So how does God hurt? God is so powerful, so mighty, so strong, so everything. How can He hurt? Yes, He hurts. Because it's truthful. It's perfectly true for someone to be hurt when love is rejected. Pure love is rejected. It says that God was grieved with their sin 40 years in the wilderness. And to us in the New Testament it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit, wherewith you have been sealed unto the day of redemption. So when we disobey God's law, when we transgress the law, what, we are, what are we doing? We're really rejecting the love of God. You say, it's just a little bit. You've still rejected that love of God. You know better. God told you, don't do this, you know better. No, God, let me do this. I, 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 trust me. That's what we're doing. The, the Old Testament, if you read the Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, when they for 40 years were in the wilderness, when they rejected God's uh, uh, way of leading them out of Egypt, he called that unbelief. Every single thing that they did to counter the word of God was called unbelief. And unbelief is rejecting the love of God. And so we see that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins, verse 5, and in Him is no sin. Love, and James says, the last verse I believe of the book, love covers a multitude of sins. The love of God covers the multitude of our sins. That's how much He loved us. He died for us. And He's saying, really what He's saying in this chapter is, if you claim to love God, that's where the, that's where the speaking comes in. I love God. Oh, I love God. If we were to say, everyone here, everyone stand up who loves God, everyone would stand up, I'm sure. But He says, well, let's check that. Do you love your neighbour? Do you love your brother? Of, of course. Well then, if I love my brother, let's check that again. How do we test that? Again, works tests it, doesn't it? Works tests our speech, our words, our professed faith. And says, well, um, I, malicious, I maliciously gossip about him, or I can't forgive that person. Or I have stolen something from somebody. Or I refuse to pay my debts. Or I do this and I do that. And then you say, okay. So, do you equate that to love? 
Jesus said, if you love me, what? It's very simple. It's very simple. But guess what? It's hard. You can be simple and hard at the same time. It's not complex. It's not that we don't understand. But it's hard. And why is it hard? There's one thing that hardens, and that's pride. It's our pride that makes it hard. It's, it's, our, it's our pride that, that, that prevents us from admitting that I've done wrong. And it's not until I get over that huge mountain, that huge hump of pride, that I can now start making progress. You know, the, in the day of Christ when He comes, when, there's, when the books are going to be opened and there's going to be judgment, it's going to be an open book exam. We've, we've had that in school, open book. Some exams you can go in, you don't have any books there, you have to remember what you learned and you've got to write down the answers. Some exams, you can bring all your books and then what they're really trying to test you is not your memory, but your understanding of the material. And so you go, oh, I remember the chapter, and you go there, oh yeah, and you put the answer down. Well, it's going to be an open book exam. On the day of judgment, it's going to be an open book exam. The books will be open. And it's not what you've professed. It's going to be a book called the Book of Works. They were open too. That was open. And everything that you have done, and I have done, as shameful as it may be, will be brought to, to light. Unless we've done, I believe, unless we have dealt with them here upon this earth. Because when they are dealt with here upon this earth, God says, I will forgive their sins and remember them no more. And one passage in the Old Testament is that Isaiah says, and, or another prophet says, and I will cast them into the sea. It's a metaphor, is that they're buried. I, God, will not re- re- recall them and bring them against you. And we have an open book exam. And, and the real question is, is how much do I love God? Do I love Him enough that when I do grieve Him, I hurt? I say, God, I'm sorry. You know, think about your wives. Those that, or your, your parents, for those that aren't married. The ones that you know put everything into your life. And then you go and do something really foolish, or really hurtful or spiteful to them. And then you remember, oh, why did I do that? The one that loved me the most, and I loved the most, why did I say something like that? And don't say, I, I love my parents, if I refuse to ask forgiveness, or even if I knowingly continue to do things spitefully to them, or my wife, or my husband. It's a short life. And you've only got so many years that God grants you, and you don't know how many they are. You say, well, what can I do about it? Second Timothy, talking about believers now, Second Timothy says this. When, when, when we do things and we do things that are dishonorable, we can become dishonorable vessels. And Timothy says this. Second Timothy 20. But in a great house there are only vessels of gold and of silver. There are 
not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to, dis- to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, again, he's saying if a man purges himself, if a man purifies himself, again, we understand what that means now, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, There are ways that we can purge ourselves through humbling ourselves, through seeking God's power, through seeking God's grace, and we can purge ourselves. When we know, when we come to the understanding that we have been living a dishonorable life, speaking to Christians as well, especially in this chapter, we need to purge ourselves. We need to allow God to chasten us. We have to be willing to be exercised by His chastening. And then we'll be able to be used for every purpose of God. One other thing I'd like to bring out in this chapter, and I think it's very important. The the writer John says, for example, he uses, um, in verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remains in him, the seed of God remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, if we read it in that tense as we understand it, we say, whoa, that means (laughs) I make one sin, I'm finished. I'm not born of God. That is not what he's talking about, because if you read the whole letter, you'll see that if a man does sin in verse uh, 7 and 9 of 1 John 1, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So He's not saying one strike and you're out. And He's not saying that that once you're born again, as some believe, we don't sin anymore. That's not what He's saying. If you were to read it in the Greek, as they did it then, it's in the present continuous tense. He that is born of God cannot be sinning. It's an ongoing thing. You cannot... Your life cannot be a pattern of sin. Because that's what you were before you were born of God. You cannot continue in sin. This is where the great confusion is in Hebrews chapter uh, 10. Where it says in in, uh, verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. We can sin willfully in many ways. It doesn't mean one strike and you're out. What it's saying, he that is continuing to sin willfully in sin, there remains no more sacrifice for that. Because you you are doing this volitionally. You are doing this, you want to do it. You don't, you're not even seeking repentance. If you continue that way, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. It's the same thing that John is saying. As a matter of fact, if you go to John chapter 5, first John chapter 5, he says, there is a sin that is unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. And only God knows... Only God knows your heart, the status of your heart. God knows that. We don't. And God knows when you've crossed that line. God knows what it really, what it really I believe, means is God knows where your heart is right now. And whether He will give you repentance or not. There's a, there, there, is a, there is a place where God will say no. But I can question whether that person is going to even want to come back. So we see that the nature of sin and the nature of love is 
God loved the world so much that he gave his son for our sins. He gave his life of his only begotten son. That whoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I was, as I was studying this chapter this morning, this hymn came to me. And I just want you to listen to the words of this hymn. We all know this. It's in the gospel hymns. But it just shows you the love of God and the depravity of man and how God reconciles the two. Alas, and did my Saviour bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I have done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide, and shut its glories in, when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face, while his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness, and melt mine eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now, I am happy all the day. <coughs> May the Lord bless us. We didn't um, get to verse 20, which talks about if our heart condemns us, God knows our heart is greater than our heart. And knows all things. If our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence in God and so forth. And if you look at the context of that, he's actually speaking about loving in word and in and in deed. Loving in word and in deed. And the measure of our love towards each other is what we do for each other. Is having, as we just saying, um, compassion towards our brethren that were sorely tried or that are in difficulties. Um, for whatever reason, the King James Version, the translators decided to translate that word in 1 Corinthians 13, the same word love, into charity. Maybe they wanted to give it a special connotation to that word. That charity, the true love of God, is all of these things enveloped. Compassion, selflessness, um, rejoicing in truth, unending, unfailing. And... Perhaps that con condemnation of our hearts may seem cruel. That, you know, why should our hearts feel condemned? But I think it's the way God speaks to us. When something is wrong in our lives, we need to question ourselves. We need to have an introspection and say, What is it, Lord, that is going wrong? 
What do I need to do to change that? And when we examine ourselves, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, whether we be in the faith, it's probably prompted by this conviction that we have in our hearts that we're not living in love. Not living in love for God, or not living in love for our fellow man, which is not living in love for God. To God be all the glory, to Him be the praise evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.